You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Good morning, Riverside. Good to see all of you here today. And for those of you listening online, we welcome as well all of you today by podcast. Want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to be this morning. My name is David Kennard. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my privilege to continue part two of a series that we began last week entitled Fully Changed. And uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 10. So if you need a Bible, uh, there are some paper Bibles below you in the chairs there. You can always go in the Riverside app as well and follow along in the notes there. Always encourage you to do that. Take some notes. In fact, today's message may be one of those that you'll go, ooh, I wish I would have taken some notes on this text and this message today. So I encourage you to do that. If you need help finding Mark's gospel, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew and Mark, those are in the New Testament, a little bit toward the back of your Bibles. And there are these four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark's gospel that we're in throughout this series all the way up till Easter weekend is, the, is from the perspective of Peter. And it's written to a Gentile Roman audience who have now become followers of Jesus in the first century. And so that'll play into the context of where we're going to be here today that you're going to need to know, and I'll, I'll explain all of that in just a little bit. This series is part of a larger theme, a part of a theme that we've entitled Fully Alive this year for the Riverside family. So if you're a guest today and you're kind of investigating Jesus, maybe you're exploring, I applaud you for getting up even though you lost an hour of sleep last night. How many are feeling that? Let me see your hands. Yeah. Well, thank you for being here today. So glad that you're here. There's extra coffee out there if you need to get some, okay? Just whatever you got to do to stay awake today. So this series, as I said, is part of Fully Alive, our theme of Fully Alive. And when a person is fully alive, as we've been tracking through Mark, when we're made fully alive, we begin by being fully called. Then we become fully convinced over the course of time as we start to learn to follow Jesus and what he has for us. And then there's transformation transformation or change that occurs. And then our last series, all the way to the cross and the resurrection, we'll be looking at Jesus inviting us to be as fully committed to the Father's will as he was and modeled for us. So in this series, Fully Changed comes out of this idea that Jesus came to give us life and to give us life to the fullest or to an abundant and a satisfying life is really this John chapter 10 and verse 10. It's kind of our theme verse for the year. Now, in that same text, Jesus makes mention of an enemy, an enemy of our souls. He says that there was a thief. There it was then, and there is today. There's a thief that desires to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And we see that all around us, do we not? The, the scriptures identify him, Jesus identified him as our adversary, the enemy, Satan, the devil. And he is, his desire is to steal, kill, and destroy, and to do whatever he possibly can to draw us away from a life that is fully alive. And today, specifically, we're going to look at relationships, and specifically within relationships, the idea of marriage. Now, for those of you who are not married, I don't want you to feel like this message isn't for you, because whether you are single or married, whether you are divorced or whether you are widowed or whether you are separated, whatever it might be, I believe that we all 
have people in our lives that are in relationships that we can add value to and we can help strengthen in our culture this idea, this institution that God created of marriage. Would you agree with, with that with me? That no matter where you find yourself today, we can add value to that instead of detracting, instead of partnering with the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy, that we could actually work together to strengthen and improve relationships. So as I've been thinking about the first 10 or 11, 12 verses of Mark chapter 10, we're gonna look at what Jesus says and what he wades into with this idea of marriage and divorce today. And so as we do that, as we've been preparing for that, as I've been thinking about this, the question that came to my mind is, for myself and for all of you, is are you in it for the long haul? Are you in your relationship, specifically this idea of marriage, are you in it for the long haul? Because that's what God has called us to, and we know that that doesn't always happen. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was reminded, obviously, of my own marriage and the day that I got married, and so here's what we looked like 25 years ago going on 26. Pastor Bill recently saw a photo that was very similar to this one, and he said, wow, one of you's not changed at all. <laughs> Slightly bitter, because we all know that that's Amy that he's talking about, not me. But that's what we looked like 25 years ago. And as I was thinking about being in it for the long haul, I was thinking about my own vows, the promises that I made to Amy that day in front of my parents, in front of my grandparents, in front of our family and our friends. And I invite you back to June the 11th, 1994, where I said that day I was asked, do you, David, take Amy to be your wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, mostly poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as you both shall live. And after I was asked that question and said that I would make that promise, this is what I said that day. I, David, take you, Amy, to be my wife. I commit my life to you, embracing all joys and sorrows, all triumphs and hardships, I make this commitment in love. I keep it in faith. I live it in joy, eternally, forevermore. Then I took the ring and I placed it on her finger and I said, with this ring, I thee wed, because we had to say it in King James, right? This ring symbolizes the unending union of my life with yours, with all that I am and all that I have. I honor you. Your dreams are now my dreams. Your hopes are my hopes. Your fears are my concerns. Your affection is my joy. Your love is my blessing. So I invite you to go back to your own vows and reflect, or as you think about perhaps you're engaged right now, you're dating and you one day hope to be married, to think about the promises and the vows that you make, because Jesus has a lot to say about those promises and as followers of Jesus who are fully alive, it has implications for all of us. And if you're not yet a follower, I encourage you just to join in with us today as we unpack these verses. And what I want you to see by way of a little bit of context, because this is important, as we study through an entire uh, chronological idea of Jesus' life through this Gospel of Mark, the text and the context have a lot to do with what we're going to study today. So the story actually of this chapter 10 actually begins all the way back in Mark chapter 1. Mark is going to build a case throughout his gospel leading up to this moment 
with a, kind of a side character in the story. His name was John. John, we know him as the baptizer, John the Baptist. He shows up in Mark chapter one, and he's baptizing people in water in the Jordan, away from Jerusalem, but he's in the Jordan. Don't miss that because Mark is gonna pick up from that thought, and he's gonna place Jesus in that same Context And while John was preaching and baptizing in the Jordan and right around in that area and thousands of people are coming and they're repenting and they're preparing for the Messiah, John calls out one of Herod the Great's sons. Now, Herod the Great had several children, many of whom he actually executed for fear that they might take his throne. But he had two sons in particular that relate to the story and give us context for what we're studying today. One was Herod Antipas. The other was Herod Philip. Philip was married to a woman by the name of Herodias. And John knew that Herod Antipas had taken Philip's wife, Herodias, from him and had married her. And John called Herod out on that, and it ended up costing John his head, his literal life. We see that in Mark chapter 6. So that serves as the context for what happens as Jesus finds himself back there, and Jesus' enemies want to trap him and see if the same thing that happened to John could possibly happen to Jesus. So with that in mind, would you please stand with me in honor of God's word? I'm going to read these verses, and then we're going to dive in. Mark chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus then left that place. He's in Capernaum at his, in his area there where he was living at the time. Jesus then left that place and went into the region of Judea across and across the Jordan, again, where John the Baptist had been. Again, crowds of people came to him, as was his custom. He taught them. Some Pharisees came and tested him. They're trying to trap him, to get him to do the same thing that John had done. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus can hear exactly what they're up to. What did Moses command you, he replied, They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote this law, Jesus replied. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then they went inside privately. And Jesus weighs in on that issue, specifically with his disciples behind closed doors regarding Antipas, Philip, and Herodias about all of that. And this is what he says. When they were in the house again, the disciples asked Jesus about this. So we kind of felt like you maybe didn't hold, you held back. So you got some more. And so Jesus says this. He answered, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another man, she commits adultery. He's specifically there focusing in on Herodias and what she had done in relationship to Antipas and Philip. So the question that they asked Jesus that day, noting that they are Roman Christians, they've come out of a Gentile background. There was certainly some Jews in this mix as well. 
But they asked Jesus the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Father, I'm grateful for the chance to share this text that you've left preserved for us for 2,000 years. Would you give us wisdom and insight? And Father, I pray that no matter where we are coming from today, no matter what we've been through, no matter where we're at in our journey with you, in our journey, in our relationships, in our friendships, in our marriages, that you would help us to sense the working of your spirit in a very real, in a very tangible way today, Lord. May we grow in our understanding of you. May we grow in our appreciation for Jesus and for his wisdom and for his guidance. And may we truly be the kind of fully alive followers that embrace what we hear today, that put it into practice. And for those that are exploring and investigating, may you show yourself real in a very powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may have a seat. Now, as we continue with this, I gotta put you in the context of Matthew chapter 19. So I put those in your notes and we'll put it up on the screen because in Matthew 19, G, uh, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And so he's having this, he's, he's recounting the same exact story, but he brings in this question that, uh, that gives us some context for what they were really asking Jesus that day. And as Western Christians in the 20th, 20, 2020, we don't get this, but they certainly did then. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason or for any cause? You wanna note that, for any cause or any and every reason. So what's happening here is that the religious leaders are inviting Jesus into one of the most hotly contested theological debates of the first century in Judaism. There were two, two primary perspectives regarding divorce in Jewish thought. The Jews in Jesus' day believed that there were actually four grounds for divorce. All Jews believed this, that there were four grounds for divorce, and they were based always on the breaking of the vows that people made. Those four grounds for divorce come right out of the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. They are as follows, neglecting to provide food, neglecting to provide clothing, neglecting to provide marital love or conjugal love or physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, if you will. And then the fourth one was committing adultery. Now, the first three you've probably never heard of unless you've done a deep dive into Exodus chapter 21. The first three are based on case law that comes right out of the Old Testament, Exodus 21, that allowed a victim of abuse or that allowed a victim of neglect to be freed from the marriage. And the last one is obviously, if you've been a follower of Jesus for very long, you know that last one, thou shalt not commit adultery, comes out of the Ten Commandments, right? So here's Exodus 21. I want to read that and then do some unpacking. That's a little technical, so stay with me because it'll help you make sense of what Jesus says. Here's what it says in Exodus 21, verse 10. If a man marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her, here they are, food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. Now, Exodus 21 there, describe, those verses describe what is known as case law. Not statute law, but case law, which means that the principles are more important than the details. So 
Again, at the risk of boring you to death, I need to be able to connect this to you so you understand what's going on here. Then as now, just like we have it today, some laws were written as statutes. In other words, they summarized an entire topic like divorce, while other laws were case law. So case law is a collection of decisions that would be made by judges in actual cases that established a principle, a legal principle. Those rulings would then be applied to other cases that had something in common with the original case. So what happens here in Exodus 21 is that we look for the principles that apply to all marriages that involve neglect. So the rabbis, all the way back in, in the Old Testament, all the way up to the first century, the rabbis found several principles in this text. They reasoned that if a slave wife, so this actual text in Exodus is actually about a slave wife, but they reasoned that if a slave wife had the right to divorce a husband who neglected to supply food, clothing, and marital love, then obviously a free wife would certainly also have that right. And they argued that if one wife could do that, that, that uh, one of two could also do that. So if, if one of two wives could do it, then an only wife could do that as well. And if a wife had these rights, then a husband was also entitled to get a divorce if there was neglect involved. So the biblical principle that was established then was that someone had the right to divorce their partner if they neglected their vow to provide food, clothing, or marital love. Now, if you've ever read the Old Testament, if you've ever studied the laws, the Old Testament Hebrew laws were very sensible in so many ways in that time. God had provided wisdom way beyond their understanding of what really a society should look like, what they should eat, what they shouldn't eat, all of those kinds of things. So again, there are very sensible laws in the scriptures about divorce. Each partner had to keep his or her four marriage vows to feed, to clothe, to share intimacy, marital love, and to be faithful. So the principles behind these vows were that they had to supply material support which were the food and the clothing, and physical affection, the marital sexual love. Abusive situations, if you've ever wondered what the scriptures say, abusive situations were covered by these laws as well because physical abuse and emotional abuse are extreme forms of neglecting material support and physical affection. So into all of that, those four issues, into all of that, a rabbi comes along that was born about 110, 100, 110 years before Jesus came on the scene. He died shortly after Jesus was born. And his name, we know him today as Rabbi Hillel. And Rabbi Hillel will put him in what we would today categorize and what Jesus would have categorized as well as Rabbi Hillel was a liberal in this story. Okay, so you've got this guy who says, hey, I'm agreeing about all four of these things, but based on a text in Deuteronomy 24 that we're going to look at in just a minute, I'm going to add something to the four, and I'm going to call it the any cause reason for divorce. 
And so that's what was being taught leading up to this conversation on one half of what Jesus is being invited to weigh in on. Rabbi Hillel, in fact, fact, let's uh, let's remember that. Go ahead and say that with me. Rabbi Hillel, so you can remember that. Your assignment this week is to slip his name into an everyday conversation, okay? (laughs) Rabbi Hillel, and he's gonna add the any cause reason for divorce. Again, the four plus the one. And here's the thing. Very soon after Hillel started teaching this approach regarding divorce, that divorce approach, the any cause approach, almost had completely replaced the Hebrew Old Testament options and reasons and grounds for divorce. In fact, when Joseph and Mary, remember the story of Matthew chapter one, when Matthew finds out that Mary is pregnant, he's leaning into the any cause divorce. He's wrestling with that any cause issue. Now, let me read to you Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse one, because this is nuts as we look at it here today. Suppose a man, again, notice the emphasis always on the man. Suppose a man marries a woman, but she does not please him. Having discovered something wrong with her. Now that phrase, something wrong with her, is translated in other translations as a cause of sexual immorality in her. So in other words, it could be indecency, it could be nakedness, it can be translated as nudity or shameful exposure. A cause of sexual immorality in her. He writes her a letter or a certificate of divorce, hands it to her, and sends her away from his house. So what Rabbi Hillel said was that this translation of a cause of sexual immorality was actually two things, not one thing. He saw it as sexual immorality, and then, again, he taught and instituted, and society bought into it that the cause was the the fourth thing, or the the fifth thing. So again, you had the food, all the neglecting things, the food, the clothing, the physical intimacy, faithfulness, and then any cause, and my friends, She burns the dinner. It's recorded. There's actual writings. She burns the dinner. He can divorce her. She starts to look like she might flirt with another guy. He can divorce her. He doesn't like the way she makes the bed. He can divorce her. Ladies, how are we feeling about the any cause divorce? Not too good, right? So Rabbi Hillel, but of course, all the men in the place, they said, well, heck yes. I mean, if she's not as pretty as she was when she was 20, and now she's 30, I can upgrade because of any cause, right? And so that's what this Rabbi Hillel camp was in. Then, on the other side of it, you had Rabbi Shammai. And Rabbi Shammai came along and he said, no, 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 no. That Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse one, that's just one thing, a cause of sexual immorality. In other words, coming back to the idea of adultery, he said, no, 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 it should just be the four. Not the fifth, not the any cause. And so into that conversation, Jesus is invited to weigh in. Hey, Jesus, are you with Hillel or are you with Shammai? That's what's happening this day that he has asked that. And that was a huge issue of public debate all around Jesus all the time. Now, the disciples of Shammai, they wanted to restrict themselves. They wanted people to restrict themselves to the divorces 
that were in the Hebrew scriptures based on those Old Testament grounds, unfaithfulness and neglect of food, clothing, and marital love. Again, but the common people, they preferred the any cause. So Jesus was asked, again, if he agreed with who he agreed with. And Jesus, being Jesus, he answers the question, but ultimately he says, guys, Okay, so let's be honest. I'm with Shammai. I'm not with Hillel. So he gives them that answer. But then he points out to them where they're both wrong because that's what Jesus does. He says, guys, you're focusing too much on divorce and I'm concerned about marriage and the health of marriage. And yeah, if I'm gonna lean one way, I'm gonna lean with Shammai. But ultimately, he gives them that same straightforward interpretation but he wants them to understand something much, much deeper. So Jesus said that if anyone got divorced on the basis of any other interpretation, in other words, in the first century, if you've been divorced for any cause, you don't have biblical grounds. They were not properly divorced. And so if you remarried, you'd be committing adultery. So if you've ever thought that Jesus was being asked, is it ever lawful to divorce? And he answered, no, except in cases of sexual immorality, you miss what's going on here. Jesus was using the same language as this people that he was speaking to. He was referring to biblical texts and legal discussions that they all knew about. He was answering their question in plain language and he wasn't making a universal statement. Therefore, when he says nothing except sexual immorality. He was saying that a cause of sexual immorality did not include any cause. Are we clear on that? He did not mean that there is no divorce ever in any part of the Bible except on the ground of sexual immorality. He gives them a very straightforward answer. But again, he shifts it, and in Mark 10, he records his emphasis and interest in more about marriage and specifically issues that he disagreed with from both camps. So he's determined he's going to help them out. He's determined that he's going to show them all where they were going wrong. So he goes back to the basics. Now, polygamy was allowed by most Jews in the first century, but Jesus says that monogamy was the biblical idea from the beginning. He alludes to Genesis chapter 2 in the text. You can read it in your, your notes or your footnotes in any Bible. He alludes to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24, which the Jews believed had been written by Moses. So he leans in to Moses here when he says in the text there, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. And notice this, he deliberately includes the word two, which is not found. If you go back to Genesis 2, 24, it's, the word two is not in the original Hebrew text. And when you're God, you can alter your own text. So Jesus does just that. He throws in the word two. It's very significant. He points out that God made the first humans, the first human beings, male and female. Both are in the singular. And he says that the perfect marriage, don't miss this, the perfect marriage involves only two people a man and a woman. And he demonstrates how serious it is to break up a marriage by giving a commandment. Notice here in this next verse that he doesn't say that you can't, he says that you shouldn't. Verse nine, therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, the Pharisees think they've got a really clever answer for this. 
they go back to Moses and they say, hey, Jesus, sometimes Moses instructed that you must divorce a wife. They believe that divorce was compulsory if a woman committed adultery because Deuteronomy 24.1 there says that you give, you should give a certificate of divorce if a wife is found guilty of sexual immorality. So they argue with Jesus, why then did Moses give them this command to give a certificate of divorce? Jesus replies, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. That is, he did not command it, but he allowed it. It wasn't compulsory, although it was permittable. Jesus says that God does not want us to divorce if we can avoid it, even in the case of adultery. He wants us to forgive an erring partner rather, rather than to divorce them. Now, is there a limit to the number of times that we have to forgive? I'm guessing the Pharisees were thinking that. They may have even asked Jesus that same question. And Jesus thought that people were being too quick. They were enjoying this halal, any cause approach to jump out of marriage. So he goes on and he explains it further in verse five. He says, it was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote or permitted you this law. It's because your hearts were hard. There was a hard-heartedness. There was a stubbornness, a stubborn refusal to repent and to stop breaking the marriage vows. So having said all of that, a summary of Jesus' teaching that day in Mark chapter 10 would be something like this. All divorces based on the any cause are invalid. In other words, any cause divorces are groundless because the phrase, a cause of sexual immorality, means nothing more than sexual immorality. Moses never commanded divorce, but allowed them, us, to divorce a partner who is hard-hearted. In other words, somebody who unrepentingly continues to blatantly break and will not change their marriage vows. Now, I'd also like to know what Jesus thought about the three grounds for divorce that are included in Exodus. We know he rejected the any cause and that he accepted divorce for adultery, but what we don't know is what he thought about those because we don't have any record of him weighing in, in on that. We don't know either, either no one ever asked him or what he said about them wasn't different than what had always been upheld. Based on what Jesus teaches overall, though, my thinking on this is, is that I, I would propose to you that Jesus would counsel forgiveness rather than divorce unless the spouse is sinning hard-heartedly. Now, when Paul writes his letters to the church in Corinth, he weighs in on this exact same issue, except it's a different matter because Paul is writing to a group of Gentile who, Gentiles who have become Christians and they're in the city of Corinth. He's not addressing the any cause divorce. He's addressing the Roman divorce by separation method. So in this approach, what would happen is that two people who were married, they didn't have to go bother with a certificate of divorce. They just separated. And after they had been separated for a season for a while, indeterminately decided on each, by each part, after they'd separated for a while, eventually they just said, yep, I'm divorced. 
And so Paul is weighing in on that. And interestingly enough, when you notice the difference in the question as Mark records it, he doesn't really bother to connect it to the Jewish background that Matthew does because his audience isn't coming from a Gen, uh, uh, Jewish background. It's coming from a Gentile background. But we see the whole context of this because the first day that Jesus taught about it, it was a Jewish crowd, singles, married, divorced, separated, widowed. He's weighing in on all of that that day. So Paul is dealing with this divorce by separation. And the primary difference between the Gentile approach to divorce by separation and the Jewish approach to divorce was that the Jewish culture did not allow the women to initiate the divorce. But in the Roman Greek world, the divorce by separation, that could be initiated by a woman. And so Paul is addressing that in his letter. So Jesus and Paul have the same message for two different cultures. And to bring it forward to us today in 2020, two thoughts I have for you today. The first one is that fully alive followers, and that's what we're striving to be, not on our own merit, but because of the Holy Spirit's help, we should never cause a divorce. Fully alive followers should not break their marriage vows to provide food, clothing, sexual intimacy, marital love, and faithfulness. Let me speak to those of you who have been in or who are currently in an abusive situation that maybe no one knows about. My heart is heavy because I see this a lot and I know the damage it causes. Can I invite you, can I plead with you to share it with someone, to get help, to find security, to find protection? Riverside will help you with that. And for all of us that are married, we need to take this call from Jesus seriously not to cause a divorce, not break our marriage vows. And number two, fully alive followers should not use a groundless divorce. In other words, we just fell out of love. We just were incompatible for Jesus his standard is higher than that. For the Jews, they should not use a Hallelite, any cause, divorce, and no one should use that Roman divorce by separation approach. That would have been the first century application. But for us, the high calling is we're in it for the long haul. So the question that I want to leave you with today that I've been asking myself, I ask myself this constantly, what do I need to do or not do so I can live today in a way that will help our marriage thrive tomorrow? And if you're not married, that question could be so that I could see one day my marriage thrive. So that I could find my relationships thriving, my business thriving, my career thriving. What would it do, what would it do if you answered that question every day I believe it would help us to stay in it for the long haul because we need a plan. I love what Andy Stanley says. He says, we fall in love. To, to fall in love, all we need is a pulse, right? All we need is a pulse to fall in love, but to stay in love over the long haul, we need a plan. 
And that plan means that we're paying attention every day to how we're living now so that our marriage can thrive in the days ahead. We should do all that we can to save a marriage, forgive a partner who breaks vows, and then is repentant, turns away from it, stops doing it, gets the help that they need. And if we've wrongly enacted a divorce by separation, the counsel of scripture is that we should attempt to be reconciled, not remarry, because that makes the divorce then irreversible. So if you've been divorced against your will, if you didn't choose it, if you didn't want it, the counsel of scripture is that you may accept it. You may grieve, you may weep, you may mourn, and you may wail. And your heavenly father grieves and weeps with you. If you can't reverse the divorce, keep in mind that God ultimately has called us to peace. His ideal for marriage is for a husband and a wife to be faithful to each other and to support each other with food, clothing, and marital love. So please, I beg of you, don't break your marriage vows. Don't harden your hearts. Forgive. Seek forgiveness. Pursue peace. Because it's not just us that are on the line. It's the students that are in this room. It's the children that are in the nursery and in the preschool and in the elementary. Their futures depend on us living in such a way today that they will see our marriages thrive tomorrow so they don't have to experience the pain and the heartache that comes when the enemy gets in and steals, kills, and destroys a marriage. Interestingly enough, Mark, right after this text, dives right in to the significance of children. You can read it right there in Mark chapter 10, right into that. So having said that, I'm going to invite the worship team to come. And I need you all, if you would, across the room here, just to bow your heads and close your eyes. Please, please, nobody looking around here for the next few minutes. I, I need to be able to say some things from my heart as your pastor I know this is a tough message, to be honest with you. I wasn't exactly excited to preach it, but I knew that I needed to give you what I believe to be the whole counsel of God on this text. So again, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, just you and Jesus, if you've grown up in a church world, you've probably heard somewhere that it says in the scriptures that God hates divorce. says that in the Hebrew scriptures in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. But here's the thing about God. He himself is a divorcee. He was married, so to speak, to Israel and to Judah. And he divorces himself from them. It says it very clearly in Malachi and in Jeremiah and in Ezekiel, the Old Testament prophets. So God knows something about this. And when it says that God hates divorce, unfortunately, tragically, that has been interpreted by Big C Church around the world that God hates those who have been divorced. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that is not true. God does not hate those 
who have been divorced. He knows your pain. The reason that he says, I hate divorce, is it because he knows how it rips a person's heart out, how there's pain and there's hurt and there's rejection and there's guilt and there's shame. And he's here today and he wants to bring healing, forgiveness, and restoration. He knows that our identities are altered because of the labels that people put on us. Our self-worth and our value plummet during those seasons. And he's here today to bring life and to bring what might be dead within you back to fully alive status. I want to plead with you today to soften your heart. If you are if you are flirting, if you're married and you're flirting with someone other than your spouse, stop it, please. If you're emailing, if you're texting, if you're sexting, if you're calling, if you're chatting, if you're cheating, if you're lying, if you're hiding, if you have given in to lust and there's an addiction, if you've allowed pornography to run rampant in your soul, if you're viewing someone of the opposite sex as a commodity for you to consume, Jesus says, you're breaking your vows and you're breaking his heart. And my job is not to condemn you today. If you sense a racing of your heart, if you sense anything inside of you it's, that's aimed at behavior, that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you're hearing a voice that says you're worthless, if it's attacking you and your personhood, that's condemnation. And that's from Satan. That's from the enemy. Conviction is aimed at our behavior. So I'm pleading with you, don't harden your hearts, soften your hearts. Jesus offers a cure to hard-heartedness. His kingdom provides a way for our hearts to be softened so we can be in tune with God's best intention and his best plan. I want to plead with you to seek reconciliation, to admit your failure, to acknowledge your guilt, to humble yourself, to repent. You confess to God to be forgiven, but you confess to someone else to be healed. So I want to invite you to pray with me. Jesus, I'm so grateful for your grace. I'm so thankful for your mercy. And as hard as it is for me to talk about this stuff in a culture that just runs rampant with brokenness and deception and lives being shattered and families torn apart. In your family, it's not supposed to be that way. So Father, as we are praying for one another, for ourselves, for our own relationships, for those that we know of that have been absolutely devastated by relational breakdown. I pray, God, that you would give us the courage to step into the light, to step into the brokenness in our own lives and in the lives of others, not from a place of 
pride and arrogance that we have it all together, but because we know our own sinfulness. We know our own temptations. We know our own failures. Cleanse us, I pray. Holy Spirit, would you fill us with a love? Would you fill us with an integrity? Would you fill us with a faithfulness that comes from walking in step with Jesus? Would you help us to know what the next most honoring thing to do would be from what we've just experienced, from what we've just heard? And Father, we will give you all the praise and the thanks for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.